Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jerry Sander. This is Showing Up. We have an interesting one today. So imagine if you can, or remember back if you can, to a year called 1960. A guy named John F. Kennedy was running for president. Marijuana was absolutely illegal, but LSD and psilocybin and other related psychedelic drugs were all legal. This was 10 years before the war on drugs was proclaimed by Richard Nixon. This was 20 years before Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan and the Just Say No campaign. This group called the Beatles were starting to record in England, but it was still two years away from the release of their single called Love Me Do, and it was seven years before Sgt. Pepper's. The top songs of 1961, the hot chart hits, were Patsy Cline singing I Go to Pieces and Roy Orbison singing Crying and Connie Francis singing Where the Boys Are. This was the time that Harvard University found itself with Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert and a whole crew of characters who decided to really look into the effects of psychedelic drugs on consciousness. Using graduate students as experiments, using themselves as experiments, and kicking off a social conflict world that lasted the entire decade. And the author I'm interviewing today, Don Latin, has written a trio of books that cover this psychedelic era. He'll explain what they are. The gist of it is that people were looking in any way they could for a larger consciousness that was different than what they grew up with in the post-war and the 40s and in the 1950s. What they attained, where they went, and what they shook up has repercussions all the way through to today. And the discussion now about possible uses of what were called psychedelic medication, psychedelic drugs, as a medication that might assist in psychotherapy in the future is kind of a, a deeply unanticipated thing in our culture that's already started to happen and become a reality. But it wasn't born today. This was being talked about a long time ago. Here's my conversation with Don Latin. I split it into two separate podcasts so we could cover what we needed to cover. Don is an award-winning journalist and the author of six books. And I became aware of you, Don, when I read your first, the first book I read of yours was, is that you have great titles, The Harvard Psychedelic Club. Right. How Timothy Leary, Andrew Weil, Ram Dass, and Houston Smith killed the 50s and ushered in a new age for America. At least I have long titles. Uh, that's uh, it's a great title. <laughs> uh, then... I, I was enthused about it enough and we had enough in common that I reached out to you and asked if I could interview you. And you said, only if you read the other two in the psychedelic trilogy. But, I'd, <laughs> but I started reading the other one, which has the title, Jesus Freaks, A True Story of Murder and Madness of the Evangelical Edge. And I was, I was so into that. And then I realized, no, I've got to read the other two books, 
which uh, are entitled Distilled Spirits, Getting High, Then Sober, with a famous writer, a forgotten philosopher, and a hopeless drunk. And the most recent one, Changing Our Minds, Psychedelic Sacraments and the New Psychotherapy, which was published in spring of 2017 that talks about cutting-edge medical research and changes that seem to be coming to the field of psychotherapy. Um, you have been a, a religion writer for San Francisco Chronicle for a long time, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I took a buyout in 2006, so I, hasn't, I really haven't been in the daily newspaper business since 2006, but I was a reporter at the uh, old San Francisco Examiner and then the Chronicle from the you know, mid-70s to like 2006. And I was the full-time religion reporter for uh, about five years in the 80s for the Examiner and then for about 20 years for the Chronicle. So wow. I'm not still interested in the subject, but I've um, yeah. kind of gotten more specialized in my interests now that I don't have to be responsible for covering the entire world of religion. And I can, I was going to say, how do you report what I want? about <laughs> religion? You know, that's like, that's like reporting about oxygen in a way, right? Yeah. Um, well, it's always interesting in the Bay area because it's a very eclectic scene here. I should mention too, you've been an adjunct faculty member at the graduate school of journalism, university of California, Berkeley, and you have a degree from there in sociology and you're a contributing writer to the Encyclopedia of Love in World Religions and Encyclopedia of Religion in America. So we're going to, I mean, what, what blew me away is that your three books taken as a totality talk about whatever intersection is there between psychology, experience, logic, non-logic, spirituality, addiction, 12-step world, mysticism it's a large intersection you've created mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i first want to ask you you've been fairly upfront in your books about things that you have used and tried and particularly in the book um about uh, distilled spirits do you do you use the phrase former addict to describe yourself or addict or does not you're not comfortable with that word well, uh, I definitely had a problem with alcohol and cocaine addiction. Uh, mm -hmm. for years. I write about that in Distilled Spirits. So I yep. am in recovery. Um, I haven't uh, touched alcohol or cocaine for about, I don't know, what was it, 2000, no, more than 15 years. So, um, yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, had some problems with alcohol and specifically cocaine Um uh, you know, I was a very high, high, highly functioning addict. You know, I kept my job. I didn't lose my house. I didn't wind up in the gutter. Never got a DUI, but it got a little mm -hmm. out of control. And mm -hmm. so I, you know, I went through the whole, I went to rehab and, mm -hmm. and uh, relapsed a bit. But um, um, so it's one of the reasons that I was, uh, you know, when I got into writing about psychedelics after that, I was, and I wanted to do it as a participant observer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I felt like I was writing about use of psychedelic drugs in a therapeutic and spiritual context, not so much recreational. Context. Right. right. And so I, but I felt as a journalist, it was important for me to, you know, experience these drugs in the milieu I was talking about, right. Uh, as like with a therapist or with a spiritual group or something, a shamanic setting. So I was a little hesitant, you know, getting back into it because I have to admit, right. Jerry, I love getting high. I like right. right. <laughs> it too much. But, uh, you know, I think what's important to remember with these drugs, all drugs, is it's all about your intention and the context, mm -hmm. you know, why you're doing this. And uh, 
So, uh, you know, it hasn't led to any other problems with uh, uh, addiction or, you know, getting back into some of the drugs that I had that I liked too much back in the day. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and um, how would you talk about the tension with the 12 step model uh, that seems to encourage just not using anything? Uh, versus how you've customized it for yourself, your own recovery. Yeah, well, I, I write about this quite a bit in uh, Distilled Spirits. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the uh, Distilled Spirits is a partly a group biography of three uh, three guys, Aldous Huxley, the famous British uh, novelist and philosopher, uh, Gerald Hurd, who most people haven't heard of, uh, who mm -hmm. was an Anglo-Irish mystic and writer and philosopher and a mentor of Huxley, and uh, Bill Wilson, the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, what a lot of people in AA don't even realize is that one of their their, their main, their, their saint, their co-founder, actually did a lot of uh, experimentation with LSD himself long after he sobered up in the 1950s, uh, thinking that uh, psychedelic experience could help some addicts connect with the higher power that they talk about and the spiritual awakening that they talk about in the 12-step work. So, uh, you know, on the one hand, you know, some, uh, you know, AA Nazis, hardcore AA people might consider the fact that I was taking magic mushrooms with a therapist or going to, um, uh, you know, peyote or ayahuasca retreat as a relapse. Uh, I differ. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't consider it a relapse. Um, mm -hmm. and I can obviously point to the experience of Bill W himself, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who was using, who, who wasn't using psychedelics, LSD in particular in the fifties to sober up. He'd been sober since the thirties, but he was using psychedelics to help with his depression, which uh, he suffered both before and after he got sober. And also his uh, addiction to tobacco, which was the drug that ultimately killed. You know, I'm so glad you, you mentioned that because the first guy I knew in my adult life, who was a big AA person came into a meeting to meet with me with a, it had to be a 72 ounce thing of caffeinated coffee and he was smoking a cigarette, you know? And I just realized, okay, he's not drinking alcohol. He's not drinking alcohol. It's okay to kind of swap out substances here. Perhaps the one was going to kill him and the caffeine may make him jittery or something. And I questioned the smoking cigarettes and I'm wondering, like, how many people have, you know, abstained from alcohol and died from smoking the cigarettes? Um, you know, this concept of swapping out one substance for an another one comes up in your books when we're talking about possible psychedelic substances treatment for harder core drugs right. or alcohol. Um, what what are your thoughts about that? Having done all the research you've done, well, um, I th you know all drugs aren't the same, obviously, and uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean they call this harm reduction sometimes in the addiction mm -hmm. field. That let's say you're a, I mean, forget about the formal therapy, but let's just say you're a heroin addict, you know, who's got a you know five hundred dollar a day habit, and you're you know robbing people or prostituting yourself or whatever heroin addicts do to get the money for heroin. And then they, you know, they, they kick heroin, but they keep smoking pot. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they smoke pot every day and they're, you know, you could say you're addicted to, to marijuana, but uh, you know, uh, that, that's a lot uh, 
less of an extreme of an addiction to have than a heroin addiction. Uh, in terms of using psychedelics uh, as a, I mean, there's an interesting movement right now uh, called uh, several different groups out there uh, that are using psychedelics in recovery. And so, yeah, it does seem strange uh, to some people, oh, you're using one drug to overcome an addiction to another drug. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's really not so strange when you consider that if your intention to use, a, say, a psychedelic drug is to get some kind of psychological or spiritual insight into the nature of why you're an addict, right? The underlying, some of the underlying issues uh, fueling your addiction, uh, then that's just a tool that uh, you can use to help uh, get over your addiction mm-hmm. or uh, uh, understand it in a deeper way. So, uh, and uh, as you know, if you, from reading uh, Changing Our Minds, there's mm-hmm. been quite a bit of research in the last 10 years or so. I mean, these are clinical trials, FDA government approved clinical trials using substances like uh, psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, uh, to help uh, cocaine addicts, alcoholics, even tobacco smokers. And they've had some very um, uh, positive results in these clinical trials. These are double blind, placebo controlled studies. And uh, it's looking like within a few years, uh, psilocybin and also MDMA, which has been used more for treating post-traumatic stress disorder, but also for addiction, uh, will be uh, decriminalized um, for, for therapeutic use, uh, at least. So there's a lot of interesting research going on uh, in, in this area, and uh, people are changing their minds about uh, the value of psychedelic drugs. Thus the title of your book. That's the title. And, <laughs> yep, that's the title. Now, I'm going to quote you. So uh, take my word for this. You wrote this, okay? <laughs> I don't always remember what I wrote. Quoting from ten or fifteen years ago, I said that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, actually, you said it pretty well. You were talking. You're, here's what you said: the kind of meaningful slash meaningless revelation one has on psychedelic drugs, insights that can change your life, or come off like an old cosmic joke. It all depends on what you do next and how you live your life after the ecstasy, whether you find a way to go from altered states to altered traits. Yeah, the, uh, that line, I, I, I usually attribute that to uh, Houston Smith, that line, altered traits versus altered states, because um, he's the one who uh, I think came up with that. But yeah, the idea is, you know, what's interesting because Houston Smith, you know, who was, who was one of the characters in my book, Harvard Psychedelic Club, renowned religion scholar who for a brief period of time got interested in psychedelics, worked with Timothy Leary at Harvard back in the 60s. And, you know, the big question then, and this is when LSD was still legal, by the way, you have to remember that. Um, yep. Really before it was, the, it, they, they hooked up in 1960, which was really before the quote 60s happened, right, in terms of the era. Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, one of the things that people would ask is, okay, people can have what, you know, appear to be or seem to be, from a subjective point of view, profound religious, spiritual, mystical experiences on LSD, mushrooms, and other psychedelics. And, uh, you know, the question that some people ask, well, but that's like artificially induced, you know, that's not Mm -hmm. a mystical experience. Mm -hmm. And, And Houston Smith came to understand that, well, the experience itself, what's going on in the brain may be very similar to what you may have, uh, you know, using other uh, practices like meditation or fasting or sensory deprivation or various things people use to have mystical experiences. Uh, 
the experience might be might be the same. The same thing might kind of be happening in the brain. But the question is, you know, what do you do after that? I mean, do you go from the altered state to changing so your in high school. traits of behavior, altered traits versus altered states? And I think that is the kind of important question. You can also say the same thing about meditation. I mean, someone goes to a meditation retreat for two right. weeks and they have these profound experiences and they you know, they come home and they're still beating their wife, you know, I mean, you, you could ask, this, you could say the same thing about any kind of a mystical or spiritual experience or conversion experience. You know, what's the, okay, I'm going to ask you more about really that. If, okay. It doesn't really matter. If That's it's, right. Uh, you know, if it's facilitated by drugs or something else, in my, in my view. Uh, you had another great quote. Uh, you were quoting some researcher here. I'm sorry. To, oh, Metzner. Oh, it's, uh, Ralph Metzner. what's his name? Yeah. That they do not in themselves show you a way to live drugs. There is nothing inherently good in these chemicals. Charles Manson can use LSD and do what he did. Right. So that's it. It's all about your, it's about your intention and it's about, you know, the kind of the fruits of that labor, what, what, what comes out of it. That's, I think, so you, I, I want to focus on this thing of feeling, because if I think of what happened since we were in high school, the changes in many different realms. It was what you've written about, which is an emphasis on we want feeling. We want to feel it in our body, mind, and soul, not read a religious textbook or hear some dogma. We want to feel it. And that also explains the rise of the evangelical movement around the same time. Or the Pentecostal being movement, actually, more specific. Pentecostal, yeah. okay. Yeah, in terms of experience, that, because they really yeah, not, spiritual experience. Yeah, yeah that, that um, I mean, I recently watched the documentary Jesus Camp again, and uh, the one of the young kids who's going through Jesus Camp says that there are, there are dead churches, and then there are live churches, and the live ones are where you have this feeling and you're overcome with feeling. And you've kind of mentioned in the writing that there was a commonality between some of the feeling in these conversion-like experiences in religions and in the psychedelic world. Yeah, I think both, and not just the psychedelic world, but kind of the broader, you know, kind of so-called new age movement, right? Um, or the mindfulness movement or the human potential movement. I think both in those movements and in specifically the Pentecostal, you know, Christian movement, which they're evangelical, but Pentecostal is, it, it describes people who are, you know, more interested in connecting with this powerful Holy Spirit kind of experience that they have. So, you, you know, they're interested in speaking in tongues and prophecy and faith healing and all that, which, of course, a lot of people also are in the, in the New Age, some of the New Age movements. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, I, I think there's a broader kind of search for sp spiritual experience rather than the doctrine, the dogma and denominationalism of, of organized religion. I mean, it's so many people, this is a trend that kind of started on the West coast. When I first started writing about religion in the eighties, uh, early eighties, uh, and, and, and kind of spread across the country, um, you know, people call themselves spiritual, but not religious, right? What do people mean by that? Well, I think they mean that they're interested in spiritual experience. I mean, whether that's an experience right. you have, uh, you know, at a Pentecostal, you know, kind of holiness church or, uh, you know, at, at Esalen, at a human potential movement retreat center or at a psychedelic retreat. Uh, it's it's the personal experience, the the power of that that I think people were a lot of people were looking were looking for. 
Yeah, here's how you said it in Distilled Spirits. Here's one thing you wrote. Huxley's, and we'll speak about Huxley in a minute. Huxley's writings on the spiritual dimension of the psychedelic drug experiences inspired us to seek mystical enlightenment through the wonders of modern chemistry. We didn't want to worship God. We wanted to experience God. Some of us wanted to be God. We were not interested in doctrine, dogma, or religious denominations. We wanted instant insight. We wanted to leave ordinary reality behind to break on through to the other side, and there was no time to waste. Yeah, well, that's. I was kind of trying to, you know, describe to people what that era was like, right? Especially in the nineteen nineteen. So it, it you yeah. got it. Yeah. You got it. Break, break on through through to the other <laughs> side. Yeah, that the door, you know, as you probably know, the Doors, uh, you know, were influenced by Huxley. I mean, they named their Jim Morrison band The Doors yeah. because they read the book The Doors of Perception by Huxley, which was, you know, Huxley's book back in 1954, where he describes his first uh, psychedelic experience, which was on mescaline. Yeah. And there was a there was a guy who would be like the Don Latin of my class. His name was Danny, and um, I was focused on being a good suburban boy and getting good grades and maybe getting into a good college. And then, and then this guy said to me one day, you want to check out this book by Timothy Leary? And I forget which one it was. Was it Politics of Experience was the one? Probably. Uh, the, well, I don't know. I right. mean, uh, the first the, one, the, the first one was the, called the psychedelic experience, which was co-authored by Leary, Matt, uh, Richard and, Albert, who became Ram Dass and, and Ralph Metzner, who you mentioned. It might have been, might have been that. Was that popular in paperback then? Whatever was he? Yeah, well, that was the book that a lot of it came out in '64. You know, so that was the book that a lot of people, uh, you know, slightly older than us, you know, Mm -hmm. in the '60s, Mm -hmm. mid '60s, early mid '60s into the '60s, used as like a guidebook for how to have an acid trip. Uh, and then even, there was John a- Lennon, even John Lennon did that, which you know he, um, it was very influential in terms of the Beatles kind of mystical trip, which kind of per- really what permeated into pop culture when they got into psychedelics. And then they wrote an, a later. Leary wrote a later book that was where turn on, tune in, and drop out was popularized, right? Yeah, yeah, he wrote lots of books over the. Over so, the so I read, so I read the book. And I said to Danny, you know, I'm not that impressed. And he said, no, you've got to, you got to try acid, Sander, because then you will understand that a peach is really a peach. (laughs) And I I remember looking, I'm going, I know that. I know that, Danny. I know that. And I know he was shaking his head with pity for me because he, I knew it on some level, but not how he knew it. So, I, my so you would have been that guy in the class, right? You were you were doing this stuff then. Well, I, I don't know. I was somewhere in between you and Danny, maybe. Okay, <laughs> I was getting good grades, getting ready to go to college too. You know, right? I mean, I did. I think the first time I did LSD, I was probably about. I was probably I still was in high school. It's probably. I don't know, 15, 16 years old, but uh, I didn't really have. Um, you know, I also was into like getting into alcohol then, and uh-huh. uh, and uh, I was into like you know whites, you know, it was a speed, a meth, methamphetamine. Um, but uh, what was influencing yeah, I, you to try those things? I mean, you you just a circle of friends, and 
well, intellectual. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I I think. I mean, I think there's like a there's like, there's like a human need to alter your consciousness. I think we, Andrew yeah. Watt wrote about wrote, wrote about this in a book called The Natural Mind. You know, back back in the day that there's a, there seems to be a need, you know, across, you know, mm-hmm. centuries and cultures for people wanting to alter their consciousness. So I think it's kind of, it's an impulse, almost like, you know, the desire for food or sex or shelter or whatever. So I think it's, that's there. Uh, you know, my own experience, you know, looking back on it, I was probably partly reacting to, you know, kind of some family, you know, dysfunction. I mean, my parents getting divorced. I read about that a little bit. Yes. And I had the same experience. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I I didn't see that at the time as what I was doing, but looking back on it, I guess I could, that that might've been a factor. Although I may have been doing that anyway, whether they were divorced or not, who knows? I didn't really have a full blown mystical experience, you know, uh, like a high dose LSD experience till shortly after high school. I mean, my first few months of college, I read about that and some experiences in, at the end of Harvard Psychedelic Club. Mm-hmm. So th- that was really when I kind of discovered the, you know, the agony and the ecstasy of, of, of psychedelics. In, in a, in, and then after recovering from what was really a bit of a psychotic break for a month or two, uh, I eventually did get sort of, you know, like a lot of people, I wasn't sort of much a psychedelic evangelist or anything, mm-hmm. but what we did was we turned on our friends, you know, mm-hmm. people, people didn't go to, now they have... <laughs> Certified psychedelic integration specialists. And they have therapists <laughs> like you who, who you know, specialize in this. But back then, it was like you know, you just turned your friends on, right? <laughs> but you know, you, if, if you were smart, you did it with some care and caution, uh-huh. and you know, hopefully knew what you were taking, uh-huh. and you did it in a safe, secure place. In my case, it was often out in nature where mm-hmm. you would do it. Don Latin's book is changing our minds. Psychedelic Sacraments and the New Psychotherapy. That's the name of the book, Changing Our Minds. Psychedelic Sacraments and the New Psychotherapy. I'm Jerry Sanders. Come back for part two with Don, where we talk about Richard Alpert, the man that would become Ram Dass, Tim Leary, Jim Morrison, the 60s, drugs, jail, things like that. See you next time.